And this is the art of less doing. I'm going to teach you how to optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life, including your health, in order to be more effective. I want you to stress less, free up as much time as possible, and do the things you want to do. Welcome back to the Less Doing Podcast. This is episode 178. Today, I interviewed Bonnie Lowe Craman, who wrote the book, How to Be the Ultimate Assistant. And she is, in my opinion, sort of like a legend in the assistant community. So, very excited about that. But first, my co-host, my guest co-host today is a member of the Less Doing Mastermind, Holly Hansen. So, Holly, thank you for, for co-hosting with me today. Thank you for asking. I'm happy to be here. Cool. So, um, all right. Well, you know, how the way, you know the way this works. I'm just going to tell you about cool stuff that I found this week. So I'll get right into it if that's okay with you. Sure. Okay. So the first one is, uh, there is an article that I found over at uh, Medium and it's called Waking Up is Hard to Do. So it's all about basically how to become a morning person, which I think is really interesting premise to begin with. But would you consider yourself a morning person? No, I really need that. (laughs) I I don't need to become one, but I need to be, be able to become one. Gotcha. Well, so first of all, what they say is that you should find, develop a consistent routine, which that seems kind of obvious to me. Uh, But, and then they have one thing in here, which is uh, to start with a cup of coffee, which again is obvious, but there were two in here that I thought were interesting. One of which is they say, try the rise up method. (laughs) And this is an acronym. So rise up stands for uh, refrain from snoozing, increase activity for the first hour, shower or wash face, expose yourself to sunlight, upbeat music, and phone a friend. So that's kind of interesting, you know, like how that accountability aspect, the phoning a friend. Yeah, but the scheduling would have to be okay. For exactly them. right. You have to have a friend that's okay with you calling them at like 6.15 in the morning. <laughs> yeah, but that could be fun too. <laughs> once, once, once it's allowed. Yeah. Well, so uh, actually I wasn't even planning on talking about this, but have you seen that social alarm clock app called Wakey? No. Okay, so with this, it's such a weird thing, but it's become really popular. I haven't used it myself, but it's called wakey.com. And uh, you have an app on your phone, and basically, there are, you, you say when you want to wake up, and then somebody randomly around the world who's using the app will wake you up with their voice. Uh, I think I heard about it. You haven't mentioned it before? Uh, I, I may have. I think it's such a weird thing, but it's also kind of funny because you, you don't know who you're talking to and somebody wants to get woken up at six in the morning. Maybe you just be like, hey, wake up. Or maybe you sing to them or something like who knows. Do um, they respond to you? No, no. It's okay. one way. Still pretty cool. It's cool um, and, and weird. But anyway, so that was I wanted to share that. Uh, the next one, too, is that this is not a new resource, but it's called Cambridge Brain Sciences. And I've talked about things like Lumosity or Peak and, and do you use any, you use any of the brain training apps? I, I have done Lumosity. You have done Okay. So this is yeah. not a brain trainer per se. It's more of just a test. Um, so it's about, you, you can see, um, what is it? Uh, you, you can see like sort of where you stand in, in sort of a cognitive way. So like memory, reasoning, concentration, that kind of thing. Uh, so it, it's, this is more of a test, which I think is, uh, is interesting. Cool. I'm trying to think... Um yeah, I guess like on any given day, you could change that score, right? Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. It's like maybe you're having a good day or a bad day. 
and and it, sometimes you might be able to use this kind of thing to determine what your peak time is or which days are better or worse to do certain things um, or just kind of like a check-in to see how you're doing if you're trying like for example you know you mentioned to me earlier that you're trying a, a particular nootropic stack stack right yeah 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 so this would be a cool way to test that Totally. And uh, yeah. And then maybe the effects of after a uh, good night's sleep or, or right. right. Exactly. So like, uh, for me, one of the things I, like I tested a nootropic this week from uh, web nutrients, which honestly, uh, it was, it was almost like too powerful for me. I, I, I didn't enjoy the experience, but I'd increased my typing speed by like 15 words per minute. So that's something. <laughs> oh, yeah, so Cambridge, uh, Cambridge uh, Brain Sciences. Uh, okay, so the next one is, uh, th- this is, I think this is really cool. It's called uh, Get Simple Prints. And it's basically uh, a service where you can, it is, you can do this all by text. So all you do is you send in photos by text, uh, and they need 21, at least 21. And then they basically, a person creates a photo album uh, like a book for you with a one hour turnaround. And then if you like it, they send you the book by text. No, no, no. Well, th- they'll send you the approval by text, but then okay. if you like it, you get the actual physical book with printed photos sent to you like an, you know, like an eight by eight book or whatever. Okay. But it's all by text. Huh. Cool. I thought that was really neat. Um, okay. I, so, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's hard to grasp, uh, where you put a photo book, but, um, I'm sure like there's events in your on life. your coffee table. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> um, okay, so then uh, the next one. This is this is kind of a, a specific niche one, but it's called Fin. So P H I N Fin, and uh, it's it's pool care simplified. So basically, you put this object in your pool. So if you if you own a pool. And it has an associated app, and it will tell you the temperature, the pH level. It'll even tell you how much chemicals and what chemicals you need to add to it, including the ability to have these little pods, the color-coded pods delivered to you with the chemicals that you need. Wow. And at our house in the country, I do have a pool, so this is, this is interesting. Um, so they're pre-measured pods, just like laundry pods that you might see, you know, or like dishwasher machine pods, and it sends you the ones you need, and you just throw them in the pool. Uh-huh. So maybe you can be your own pool boy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so then the uh, the next one, this is an article at Mercola, Mercola.com. Uh, 10 superfoods for digestive health. Uh, so there's some of the usual players here, but there were a couple that I particularly thought were worth mentioning, one of which is red cabbage. So that's interesting. Um, I was surprised to see red cabbage in here as like a thing for digestive health, but I didn't know this. It's apparently really rich in L-glutamine, which is what you get from bone broth. So it's really nice to, it basically helps to heal the soft tissue lining of your intestines. Cool. That, that works. Um, it's like one of those colorful foods that they talk about. Yeah, yeah. right. It's, right. Well, it, of course. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a good point. And then uh, another one on here was uh, Moringa. So have you ever had Moringa? <laughs> I don't even know how to spell it. Yeah, so it's M-O-R-I-N-G-A. It's uh, described as the miracle tree. It's got these small rounded leaves, and they have an amazing amount of protein, calcium, beta-carotene, vitamin C. Uh, and so basically, it's, it, it's like literally a superfood. So uh, basically, what they're saying is from a digestive standpoint, Moringa has high fiber and uh, works like a mop in your intestines. So pretty cool. Huh. I'll try it out. Yeah, it's a, it's the kind of thing you usually get in like a powder form, and you can add it to smoothies or smoothies primarily. 
Um, okay, so the next one is an article from Barking Up the Wrong Tree, and it's The Lazy Way to an Awesome Life, Three Secrets Backed by Research. So, uh, there, first of all, I love this website, and basically, he, uh, this guy, Eric Barker, goes through tons and tons of research studies all the time and just boils them down to their, their most important nuggets. So, uh, the, there's, there's three tips here, but the, uh, the third one was introduce friends to friends. So it says, unsurprisingly, people at the periphery of a network have fewer friends and are more likely to be lonely. And yes, that loneliness can flow back three degrees to you. So does that make sense? I've, I've read that in a book before. Yeah. Well, yeah. So basically like happy friends, uh, essentially like the more friends your friends have, the better, like the happier they'll be, and that'll make you happier. Basically, it strengthens the entire network. Could could you repeat that source again? Uh, yeah, well, it's well. This is from uh, Connected: The Surprising Power of Our Social Networks and How They Shape Our Lives, which is a book. Oh yeah, so that's that's, yeah, that's the book where I read it from. Oh really? Okay, yeah. So I, it's, yeah. Just, it's fascinating because I remember seeing the study a while ago that like if if the friends of your friends are obese, you are more likely to be obese. Hmm which is unfortunate, but basically you, you want to make everyone around you uh, as friendly as possible so that they are, have more friends and, and just be a connector, essentially be a connector. That's what they're saying. I like uh, that a lot. Yeah. Uh, okay. So then there's two more. The, this one is it, the last, the second last one is called concurrency. Now this is fascinating. So this is an app. It's a game basically, but it's a game that specifically is meant to help you improve at multitasking. Now, I have said many times that multitasking does not truly exist, and this is uh, confirming that because basically what this is teaching you to do is switch between tasks more efficiently. So, it's teaching you context switching is what they call it. Okay. And so, uh, <laughs> well, go ahead. Well, I, um, I had a, a little silence, radio silence, so I, I missed a little bit. Oh, okay. No problem. So it's called concurrency, and basically what it, te- it teaches you to improve your context switching. So it's not true multitasking. It's just making it so that you're better at rapidly switching back and forth between tasks. That is the specific purpose of this app. Cool. I would use it. I would try it. And so the last one is an article from Mark and Angel, which is a, a really cool website, Mark and Angel Hack Life. Uh, it's seven reliable steps to change your life at any age. And as usual with these kinds of lists, I don't, I don't tell them all here on the podcast. You can read the article. But one of them, which is create consequences for slacking off. So, for example, you can say, like, if you don't do something. And th- th- there are lots of websites to help you do this kind of thing. But, for example, if you, do, if you don't do the thing you want to do, then you have to donate $100 to your, your least favorite charity, for example. Um, so that seems to be actually quite effective in helping people make change. Because, interestingly enough... The benefits from something positive are about half as effective as the uh, negatives of something bad happening. So, like, for example, if your neighbor gets a really cool new car, his joy or his or her joy for that car will last half as long as your jealousy or resentment about them getting a new car. (laughs) Oh, boy. boy. Yeah. So, something to keep in mind. Anyway, that's all I've got for today. Uh, So... Uh, Holly, thank you for co-hosting with me. And uh, everyone, thank you for listening. Thanks a lot. The Less Doing Podcast pulls together the top experts in the industry to help you optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life so you can start doing the things you really want to do again.
what would you do if you could only work an hour a day? Would you crumble or would you thrive? When I was sick with Crohn's disease, I was faced with that reality because there were days when I literally couldn't eke out more than an hour of work a day. And I had to figure out ways to not only get everything done, but get more done than I was doing before. And that is how Less Doing was born. Less Doing is about you. It's the easiest way to learn and implement a huge amount of productivity tips into your life in a short amount of time. Whether you're a crazy busy business owner, a tired executive in a large company, or a stressed out soccer mom, we've brought it all together for you to help you overcome the overwhelm in your life. For the latest how-tos and actual tips on becoming more productive, sign up for my newsletter over at lessdoing.com. But I want to offer you all something more. As listeners of this podcast, I want to give you the opportunity to get on the phone with one of my Less Doing certified coaches. I've trained each one of them myself, and they really know what they're doing. The first call is completely free, and you will get some real advice and tips on how you can be more productive in your life and get back to making things easier again. Thanks for listening, and now enjoy the interview. So now I'm speaking with Bonnie Lo Craman, who is, uh, among other things, the author of Be the Ultimate Assistant, but she is, in, <laughs> she's going to laugh at me for saying this again, but I, I basically a legend in terms of the kind of work that I do and, and, uh, and being an assistant and, and helping to make other people's lives as effective as possible as well. So, Bonnie, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Oh, thanks for having me, Ari. It's uh, great. And thank you for the compliment. <laughs> you're, it does you're make welcome. me laugh. <laughs> so how did you get started as an assistant? Um, my story is like so many other assistant stories that I fell into it. Um, I'm a Jersey girl. My degree is in theater and English from Rutgers University. And I knew that I needed my career to be in show business. That's what I knew tried being an actress for a short time, but I, I, I just knew I had to be involved in the business of show business. And so my, my career began in, in a theater box office selling tickets. And so it was very modest beginnings, but then I landed a job at um, the theater in Montclair, New Jersey called the whole theater that Olympia Dukakis was the, pro she was the producing artistic director and I began working for her at the theater a year before she shot the movie Moonstruck, which is the, the movie uh, for which she won an Academy Award. Uh, when I went to work for Olympia Dukakis in 1986, you know, our, our time together was went for 25 years. Um, but at the very beginning, you know, she she and I w began working together like you and I, Ari, would begin working together. You know, it was like let's figure out how to put bodies in these seats let's you know who we i was the pr director so for that year we worked really well together we you know it, it was just one of those relationships that clicked and then a, well actually about 10 months in she came to me one day and said um bonnie i'm going away for a month to canada to shoot this movie um, moonstruck and uh, you and I have a whole lot of work to do before I go so really all she knew she uh, that was that she and I had a lot of work to do for her to go away for a month and uh, during that month she needed someone she trusted to be kind of communication central she I mean this really already came down to needs it's all about customized personalized needs specific to her 
her needs were that she, she, we needed the theater to keep running, but she couldn't have 20 people a day calling her asking her questions since she was in charge. So the plan was that everyone at the theater would come to me, tell me what they needed from her. And then one time a day, typically I would get my five or 10 minutes. I never knew when the call would come. And, <laughs> and then I would, that's when I came up with this whole idea about administrative triage. I knew that that list of things I needed from her better be in priority order so that the most urgent burning things got dealt with immediately because inevitably on the other side of the phone, I'd hear a knock, 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 Ms. Jukakis, we need you on the set. And she would say, okay, Bonnie, got to go by. And there's no yeah. assistant on the planet who doesn't know that feeling, who doesn't, who doesn't complain from time to time about having, not having enough one-on-one time with their managers um and, and that's how it began you know and and then of course very quickly the oscar buzz was very strong um and indeed you know she was nominated and won the academy award for moonstruck and that was 88 and so that was the year that she was helping her cousin michael dukakis run for president of the united states um, and so I was very involved with that as well, doing publicity and PR. And then as if all of that wasn't enough, I was pregnant with my son, Adam. So it was a very big year, 1988. And Ari, I know it'll be hard to believe, but I did. we did that without cell phones, without a computer, without a fax machine even. I, I know it sounds like the time of the dinosaurs, but light, it was possible to run an Oscar campaign and do the presidential campaign without these devices. And, and in some way, I think, you know, I, I do know, know how things work. It's important to know how things work manually and not have your life stop just because of devices not working. It, it's No, I totally agree. Actually, yeah. I, like, I like that you bring that up. Every, every assistant needs a plan B, a backup plan. You know, it, it's, it's, um, a lot of, we hear a lot about paperless offices and in rooms of assistance, I'll say who's got one of those and very, a handful of assistants will raise their hand because every assistant worth their salt knows that you need hard copy backups of certain things. It's just really, it sounds like a great idea and certainly we strive to minimize paper, but a truly paperless office, I don't, I don't think is realistic or reasonable. So that, that's kind of my story. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Okay. So, and which is an amazing one. And so, first of all, I, I guess the very first thing is, what's it like to work with women for 25 years? I mean, that's, that doesn't happen anymore. It, it doesn't happen too much. I'm not that much of an, an anomaly. Uh, there are others who, who are in double digits, say. But, you know, when we began, neither one of us dared to think how long it would last. I mean, there she was an actress and, um, we knew she had a need and I needed a job and off we went. And then, you know what it was about, Ari? It was about my job description was never in stone. Never. That it's a living, that we're both living, breathing people and, you know, needs change. Um, her needs changed. My needs changed. And so one of the reasons why it sustained itself for 25 years is because Olympia didn't put up 
hardly any boundaries for me, any barriers. Uh, there was no contract I couldn't read, hardly any meeting that I wasn't welcome to sit in on. You know, that um, when she wanted to uh, buy a home on the island of St. Martin, Bonnie, here, help us do this. You know, let's find the lawyer. Let's find the realtor. Let's, you know, there was nothing that she wanted for her life that, that she didn't involve me in. And that kept it fresh and interesting and fun and, and fascinating. Um, so I, I think that is, that was the secret for me staying for 25 years. And I think it's probably the answer about those people who do stay for long amounts of time. It's because it, it never gets dull or boring that, it, that it's, it, I, I, that it's living, it's alive. It's a living, breathing thing that those people who put job descriptions in cement are the ones who are not going to succeed for any length of time is, is what I think. Yeah, no, and I think that's that's an important insight. So now you mentioned the thing about technology and having tools. So what I mean, what was the tool? You know, was it a, a notebook? I mean, what, what what was the tool that that you did use at that time? Well, that was we, sort of indispensable, right? When when we decided to open up the office in Olympia's home, I day one, I said I need a laptop so I could you know be. I knew instinctively, I knew I would have to be mobile. You know, I would be needing to take it with me and be, uh, you know, I had seen for the last year what life was like and, you know, going with her to the hair salon and doing work there just because there was such a lack of time. The thing about powerful people, very busy people who need personal and executive assistance are that they lead very busy lives and, and it got increasingly more mobile. So it was a laptop computer. It was the fax machine. It was um, a, the, a cell phone for sure for all of us. And of course, we, at the very beginning, we had one of those very big ones that looked like a small shoe. It was hilarious. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, day one, she basically, I told her what I needed and she handed me a credit card and, and said, okay, just buy whatever we need, what, yeah, whatever you think we need, and just try to get good prices. You know, so, yeah. and I share that because I think that's what executives really want from their assistants is to be able to delegate. I know you, you're a big fan of delegation. And I used to call Olympia the queen of the delegators. That if you, if on the scale of one to 10, with 10 being maximum delegation, you know, that's how I saw my work is that I, my work enabled Olympia Dukakis to do all, only the things that only Olympia Dukakis could do. And I did everything yes. else. That's the ideal strategic business partnership between an executive and an assistant, I think. That, you know, I couldn't memorize her lines for her. I couldn't go for her costume fitting for her. You, you get the idea that she got to do the things that only she could do and everything else was delegated to me. And then sometimes I would delegate out to others depending on what the task was. But, you know, by the end of 25 years, my job description probably went on for about seven or eight pages. Yeah. Okay. So, and you just, you just said a, a thing, a few points that I think are just so, so, so important. And one of the things that I come across, it's not that often anymore, actually, but I, this has come up a few times where people, their reaction when you talk about delegations sometimes is like, well, you know, what is it like, 
it's not like you're better than them or something or that your time is worth. And I said, absolutely not. That's not the point. Like no. uh, an assistant or somebody who does this is much, much, much better at these things than I am. Yes. For example. I, how about let's all be fans of the, of doing the supporting people to do the things that they're really good at, that they're uniquely right. qualified to do. And, you know, assistants will complain to me and say, my, my manager is fresh out of MBA, his MBA and, and he wants to do all his own correspondence and all his own scheduling. And I'll say back, well, you know, until we all figure out how to get more than 24 hours in a day, we need to say, well, okay, you may be able to do those things, but is it the smartest use of your time? Is it the most effective use of your 24 hours in a day or less? And the answer is inevitably no. That shouldn't an executive be, you know, busy doing business development or having meetings and their assistant is fully capable of doing the other. Now, you know, let me let me acknowledge there is a risk involved. A lot of executives and managers I've spoken to, they they are frightened to delegate too much because mistakes might happen. And indeed, I, I want to be very honest, in, in 25 years, did I screw up badly at times? Absolutely. Definitely. But that was a risk. And Olympia and I would talk about it. Um, I had the one-time rule. Serious mistakes only got to happen one time. And it's the best assistants learn from those and they never happen again kind of thing. But it's a risk she wanted to take because the payoff, the, the upside of delegating all of this, the rest of her life to me, was so out, far outweighed the possible mistakes that were going to happen. Of course. Yeah. And that, and that's an excellent point. And also the, I like the fact that you call it a business partnership because that's really what it is. People have to be, when, when you're hiring anybody, whether they're, uh, you know, a lateral position or what's seen as a hierarchical, hierarchical position, like it, it's, it's a business partnership, no matter how you look at it. So w- one of the things too, is you're, you're, the way you talk about the relationship is it's obviously it was a very much a two-way street. And I'm just interested in what your thoughts are in terms of how an assistant needs to be educating their manager, you know, in terms of how they can be more effective, not only in their communication with them, but in sort of making them delegate things that they shouldn't be doing. Well, yeah. And it's about uh, being specific about, you know, you, yeah, obviously it's, the, our, the relationship I had with Olympia was very different in year one versus year five versus year 10. You know, my responsibility became more and more as we had experience with one another and she felt comfortable delegating more and more responsibility to me. So it's a process, Ari. It's, and, and it's an education process where I encourage the old paradigm was one of where managers were on high and they delegated down or they, they dictated down to an assistant, just an assistant. And, and the, in 2015, the thing that's changed, the workplace has gotten so much more complicated than it even was 10 years ago. And so when you have an assistant who perhaps is college educated or has 15 plus years experience, you have a person who, who often sees more than their executive. I'll ask a room of assistants, Ari. I mean, this is, I think, a really critical point. I'll say to assistants, do people say things to you that they would never say to your manager? And they almost always say, absolutely, yes. 
People would say things to me that they would not say to Olympia because somehow it's just the way human nature is. They feel people in general feel more comfortable talking to someone close to the executive rather than, in my case, the celebrity herself. Uh, for various reasons, just because they are the boss, the manager, the the, per- the person in charge. So that automatically means that the assistants know more than their executives, that they're holding more information that's really valuable and important. And executives will do themselves a big favor if they can acknowledge right up front that people are saying things to their assistants that are that's really important things. Um, and to empower them to be able to say them. And, and so there is a big issue, Ari, about speaking up in this workplace. There's a lot yeah. of fear in this workplace. And in the last year, I've spoken with assistants from more than 40 countries. I've been to Dubai and Paris and London and, and a few other cities. And what I'm sure of than ever, you know, from 25 years with Olympia Dukakis and then going around with teaching and speaking, I see fear to speak up, to you know, speak truth to power, where the staff is not feeling empowered in general to speak to executives in an honest and open way. And executives will do themselves a big favor if they very clearly empower their staff to say, I really want to know what you think. I know you see things. I know you hear things. I Even if you think I'm not going to like it, I, I want to hear it, and there will not be a price to pay for telling me the truth. I may not act on what you're saying. I may not agree with what you're saying, but I want to hear it. Yeah, and, and, and that's, uh, Ben, it's very important. It's like you, you have to create that, that kind of environment. So now I, I want to shift gears a second here to something that just is a personal interest of mine, but mm-hmm. have there ever been some, because, you know, Olympia Dukakis is who she is and obviously she was a celebrity or she's a celebrity. Mm-hmm. So you, were there any, are there any, were there any uh, requests at any point that you can remember that were just, that seemed crazy in retrospect and, and you got them done things that you just, I mean, <laughs> you really well, had a, it, it, yeah, I, well, crazy is a relative term. I mean, I've, yeah. the assistants call them, you know, pulling off a miracle or a save the yeah. day, a save the day story. Um, you know, then they vary. You've heard, you know, there is crazy and then there's irrational and then there's just downright difficult things. Uh, two of them, I did two things that still, uh, to this day, I shake my head. I can't believe that I did them. Um, <laughs> one was that when Olymp- the night before Olympia was leaving on a 7 a.m. plane for London, they were having the the British premiere of the film Steel Magnolias. Are you familiar with that film? With yeah, Julia, sure. Julia Roberts and Shirley MacLaine. And, you know, it's a really big movie. The, the whole cast was going to London and the British premiere at the time, I was 89. And so Princess, this was going to be with Princess Diana and the Queen. I mean, this was a very big deal. And Olympia was doing a play at the time. The flight was Sunday morning. I got a call at 8 p.m. on Saturday night. And I knew, no, it was five to eight. And I knew that she had to be, you know, going, uh, the curtain was going up at 8 p.m. And I'm, I, it's her on the phone. I said, what are you doing calling me? You're supposed to be on stage right this minute. She said, Bonnie, 
we none of us remembered to get my dress out of the cleaners that I'm, that I want to take to London tomorrow for the British premiere. Can what can you do? And I I said, um, <laughs> I will handle it. You go do your show. Like I'm picturing the audience waiting for her, right? And she's on the phone with me. Um, and she she said, okay, just try to handle it. And I she hung up. Um, I called the police. I called the police in the town where she lived. And fortunately, Olympia is a big star in the town where she lives. And I, I asked if they could give me their help in finding the owner of the dry cleaners. And, you know, we, they did. And, um, wow. we managed to get it out. I mean, do you call that crazy or, you know, the world would not have ended if we couldn't have gotten that dress out. But the, but it was worth a try. You know, in this realm, you try to, you say yes. It, you only say no if you absolutely have to, you know. Would you like to hear one more? Of course. Okay. So I, we did that. So that was, that was cool. And, and, and uh, we gave that owner, you know, an autographed picture and all that was good. Okay. Another time. <laughs> um, and this story is about how tight very powerful, busy people are scheduled. Um, Olympia was flying into landing in LaGuardia on a Saturday and we built in enough time in order for her to get to Princeton, New Jersey to, to deliver a, a speech to have a, to be present at an event where the governor was going to be. It was a big deal. There was going to be 300 people in a room in Princeton and, um, and so, you know, she was coming from somewhere else, which many powerful people do. So I was in charge of, you know, booking flights and cars. And, and on this particular Saturday, I remember, you know, checking to make sure the flight landed on time. And yes, it did. And that was great. And then did she connect with the limo? Yep. That was cool. And I'm thinking in my head, I'm thinking, you know, because I had been in touch with the people in Princeton and knowing how important it was that she get there. Um, and I'm thinking I'm home free. But then, of course, the phone rings. And it's her calling from the car. And she said, Bonnie, we're not going to make it. And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, well, we're in gridlock traffic. There's construction on the New Jersey Turnpike. And we're not going to we're not going to make it. We're at a dead stop. And I heard the limo driver from the front of the car saying, uh, Ms. Dukakis, the only we can make it if we get a police escort. So she pauses and she said, so Bonnie, you want to give that a try? So every assistant who ever hears this story, they automatically can relate to the, to, the, to the cringing, awful feeling in the pit of my stomach, which is, you know, when you're being asked to do something that you're not at all sure you can do. So I hung up and I don't know if you're old enough to remember, but there, I remember grabbing the blue pages of the phone book. There used to be phone books and there wasn't. Yes. <laughs> Those were the government pages of the phone book. And I, I, you know, of course had the phone number of the car and had a sense of where they were on the turnpike. And I remember in my head thinking, I must come across as completely credible because at this point the clock is ticking. The clock is seriously ticking, and and uh, the faster I solve this problem, the, the sooner I can call the folks in Princeton and let them know what's going on. So I did get a sergeant at the New Jersey State Police, and um, I thank 
whoever, the universe, that he was Italian and happened to love the movie Moonstruck. And I was able to convince him <laughs> that I was not a crazy person. Um, and do you know, Ari, he did it. He, he did what I was asking him to do. He can, I now know what those mile markers on the part, on the turnpike are for. And they hooked up a, they connected a, a trooper to that limo. And uh, they got down to Princeton. Now they, she still arrived 20 minutes late. They, they rode on the shoulder for, for a bit, a long time actually. And, um, and I had communicated with the folks in Princeton. And by the time she walked in, every, the whole audience knew what was going on and they gave her a standing ovation. You know, the idea was Olympia Dukakis moved heaven and earth to get to, to that presentation for them. And of course I'm sitting at home. And thinking, I knew it was me. I knew that I made that happen. But, you know, the audience doesn't know that. And, and as an assistant, that's, um, it's a very satisfying feeling to know that I helped make that happen. And, and that she came out looking brilliant. So that was pretty crazy. <laughs> that's, that's a really good one. That's, I love that one. <laughs> uh, but now is that, I mean, so yes, you said it's, it's uh, satisfying. Is that ever sort of an issue being the behind the scenes force, you know, not well, the, the, not the, the one out front? People who enjoy doing this work by nature, I think in their, in their DNA is, uh, there, there's a term. It's called the service heart. There is, there is a quality that like people have said to me, how did you do it for 25 years? You know, I believed in, what Olympia was doing, uh, you know, in addition to movies and, and plays, you know, she also was a speaker and, and I, and I believe in what she stood for. And it, it, you know, what I know for sure is that it doesn't, relationships can't sustain if you don't like, if you really don't like the person you're working with. I mean, that's just crazy. Life is too short for that. Um, I enjoyed being behind the scenes and I, and I enjoyed being the go-to person with all the answers and, and, um, I enjoyed the, the really interesting group of people over the years I got to know. And, you know, I got to talk politics with Michael Dukakis. You know, that's pretty cool. You know, that's one of the, that's a favorite memory. Um, I got to hang out with Whoopi Goldberg at dinner one night and, and I wasn't expecting it. And I, I've, it was, it, it, it was satisfying for me. I didn't need, you know, I had my time where I tried to be on stage. I had deep appreciation and respect for what Olympia was doing in her life. And she, Ari, she had deep respect for what, I, and appreciation for what I was doing to enable her and empower her to do her life. And then when I came up with the idea that I wanted to write a book about the work because there was such a lack of resources for the people who work as assistants, her attitude was not, uh, oh, what, you know, I don't want you writing about me or any of this. Her attitude was, do it. Do it, Bonnie. I'll help you. I'll even write the foreword for you. You know, so I'm, I'm sharing this because she didn't put up any barriers to me stretching and growing and evolving in the confines of the work. So that, that made it possible. She, she didn't say, no, I don't want you to do that. I, when I was president of New York Celebrity Assistance, which is a, a professional networking organization, you know, her attitude was do it, do it. it it'll be great. Do it. 
So that that's a that's really a fabulous attitude for executives and managers to have with their assistants. It it because it, as you said, you pointed out, it's a two way street. It's not just one way. Yeah, I mean that's just it's just very symbiotic, which is really nice to hear that. So the the last question that I always love to ask in these interviews, and I I'm so curious to hear your your input on this is, is what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective? And and you can interpret that however you like. Okay, well, the first thing that comes to my mind is to make great lists. We're all running so fast. It's a 24-7 instant access world. And the days run away with us. I've had that happen to me. And I, it's so important to be supremely organized. And for me, a, a top tip is to make lists. Uh, secondly, it's really important to schedule downtime. Uh, to not schedule yourself so tight that you have no time to actually think and plan and just be. Um, I, I think in 2015, we're, we have that challenge like never before. And, and that's tricky. Um, it, it, it's making people feel exhausted all the time. You know, they wake up and they're tired because they're, you know, 300 emails and, the, the information is coming to us um, in so many different ways. We've never had so many different ways to communicate with one another than right now. And let's see what else. I think it's about keeping it personal. To Even though, Ari, it may take more time to talk on the phone with somebody, that in the end, it may end up being the more efficient way to be. That, that until we as humans all turn into computers with hard drives, we cannot lose, lose sight of the personal human aspect of the world. And, and, um, that, that, that's critical. That, that we need to make decisions about when it's really important to have the one-on-one -on -one time to look, to get in a room with other human beings and, you know, have that lunch meeting versus just sending an email. Those are really wonderful examples, Bonnie. And thank you so much for your time. And we, I think we might have lost you on the other end there, but we're going to have everything linked in the show notes and really forward to talking to you again soon. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing podcast. If you want to find out more information of the show, we would love to hear from you. You can go to lessdoing.com where you can look at Ari's blog, see the show notes for this episode, and also look at all the other episodes before this. If you want to send us a voicemail, we would love to hear from you and we'll play it on the show. You go to lessdoing.com, click on contact, and look on the right side of the page where you'll see a, a send voicemail button. Click on that and go ahead and record an audio message for us. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter. Ari's Twitter handle is at Ari Mizell, and mine is at Felix Bird. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. See you next time.